Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on The Rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 56 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a production by Workforce LLC. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Kyle Triplett, director of aluminum at Olympic Steel, and more importantly, a Bobcat. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Paul, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. So let's stay on uh, let's stay on Bobcat Nation. You spent your formative years uh, in the best place on earth, Athens, Ohio. I am biased. I'm sure you're biased as well. Uh, but you have an undergrad degree in poli sci and economics, followed by an MBA in finance. And you were really involved, um, including some very visible roles as president of Student Senate and then a seat, you know, on the Alumni Association Board. I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, how did you maximize your OU experience beyond Court Street, which I think we all maximize Court Street? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's always great to be in the presence of fellow Bobcats. And it is, uh, you know, one of the best places on the planet. I was just down there last weekend, actually, for my cousin's uh, graduation from the university. So I was excited for her and the campus was as beautiful as ever. It's really a great place um, to, to be a student and uh, be an alumnus of. It's it's unique in the sense of where it's located in the state of Ohio. It's in Appalachia. It's a major research uh, university in that Appalachian setting. And there's just a lot of really amazing things that go through that university, not only amazing things, but amazing people. A lot of really successful alumni who are doing great things uh, out in the world. And a lot of what us Bobcats have in common is giving back and getting involved in the communities that we're in. And a lot, a lot of that has to deal with uh, the experiences that we all shared at Ohio University, right? So a lot of Bobcats, um, you know, myself included, when we were at Ohio University, got involved in different student organizations, uh, whether that's, you know, Greek life or athletics or intramural sports or whatever it may be. You know, you mentioned for me, it was uh, a lot of student government. It was uh, student senate. It was being on uh, the board of trustees as a student trustee and being involved in those manners uh, in, in the university really allowed me to get more involved with not only my fellow students and getting to know them, interacting with the different student organizations, but also getting to know the university uh, administration, uh, the faculty. You know, Athens, it's a, it's a town-gown relationship. Um, it's a college town. As a student there, you also get to interact with the residents of Athens County. And uh, you really kind of become part of that community. And it's really just a great kind of ecosystem to kind of grow as an individual, get involved in a university uh, and, and a community. It's interesting. I mean, it, there it's a culture there. And I don't know when it started. I don't know if it was always there. I can only account, obviously, for my four years. But, you know, from day one, to your point, professors, leadership, People, they encourage you to find your thing and they don't care what it is, right? Like to your point, could have been athletics, student senate, WOUB, it doesn't matter. But they're, they, I were from day one that I was on campus, 
you know, I, I think even it's that first weekend when freshmen get there that they have that massive, um, it's in the like college green and it's all of the different organizations that you can get involved in. And look, I'm not saying other colleges don't do this. I don't know. I'm sure they do. But it was something about like that was almost like an expectation. And it was it was almost not the norm to not be in something. It doesn't matter what it was. It doesn't matter if you only met once a month. And I think they just did a really good job about that. You you mentioned where Athens is. And I want to ask you, like, do you think the location makes it a little bit more unique just in terms of Ohio U's relationship with Athens and Athens County? Like, what what do you think makes OU a little bit more unique in terms of where we spend four years versus some in Ohio State, not even Ohio State, but like a, somewhere where it's in like a city setting? Do you think that has like a, a drastic effect or a difference, I should say? Yeah, I, I really do. I really think it actually amplifies the student experience uh, being there. When you think about the major city centers in Ohio, I mean, it's a better part of three and a half hours from Cleveland, probably just shy of two hours from Columbus, and probably the same from Cincinnati uh, to Athens. And when you're going to school there, you're you're going to school there. You're, You're not commuting. You're staying in that area. You're you're staying in a residence hall. You're eating in the dining halls. You know, you're not walking ten miles to East State Street to go out to eat. You're going to the dining halls, right? And that's that's really where I think a lot of the magic happens is over the years, you get to spend time with your fellow students in those settings, uh, in the residence halls, uh, in the dining halls, uh, getting to know them and really building those friendships. And those friendships carry all the way through uh, your time there and, and better yet, post-graduation, right? So you get to maintain a lot of those, a lot of those relationships where I, I don't know that you necessarily kind of have that intimate setting at a at a major city-centered university where there's a big commuter pool, there's a lot of distractions that you could, you know, walk down the street to have have lunch as opposed to um, the residence hall or the dining hall. So I, I really think kind of having that close-knit uh, university where you're you're really kind of in a bubble. Honestly, you are. Uh, yeah. You know, if you don't, if you're not an upperclassman, you don't have a car. You're you're kind of there uh, for the long haul and. Um, that, that kind of forces students to get out there and, and meet people and interact. And really, I mean, I think a lot, a lot of folks who go to Ohio University kind of find themselves there, right? They, they kind of find what they're interested in doing and uh, you know, what they're interested in. And uh, it's really a special place that I think that setting enables that. Talk to me about how you think your two roles you know, obviously that with president of the student senate, but how do you think those roles prepared you for your career or at least played a part in your career? Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, my time in student senate and certainly on the board of trustees as a student. Uh, that was a great experience for me. And then post-graduation on the alumni board was a great opportunity as well. And I think going to the, the most recent experience on the alumni board, that was kind of an opportunity that I had as a working professional to go back and give to something that I cared about, right? It's a volunteer board, it's a advocacy board, and you're advocating for the university's alumni base. Um, you're doing it on behalf of the school, you know, kind of as an ambassador for the university. And I think, you know, being able to kind of volunteer yourself for things that are of value to you as an individual, and for me, that was Ohio University, that kind of made me feel comfortable in identifying 
hey, what is it that I'm passionate about outside of my work? What do I want to give back to? And, and the, the easy answer there was Ohio University. But volunteering in that setting has also given me um, you know, some practice, if you will, for volunteering within my professional setting as well. I have some leadership positions uh, in my current role um, with the Metal Service Center Institute. It's called the MSCI, and it's a it's a advocacy group for people in the metals industry. And having that experience at Ohio University in a volunteer advocacy role has given me kind of the practice, if you will, or the experience to do that in a professional setting. And, you know, going back to my student career, uh, being involved in the student senate, it kind of helps you being involved in that type of setting, helps you understand how to work on multiple things at one time, right? And on student senate, you know, there was multiple commissions, different commissioners, and everybody was kind of working on their own thing at the same time. And there's kind of that bottleneck, if you will, where there's just a lot of stuff kind of trying to get pushed through. And a lot of times that happens in the professional setting as well, where there's a lot of things that people are working on and currently either together or in, in different directions. And being involved in that kind of setting, it helps you work with others. It helps you collaborate. And it certainly gave gave me experience um, in dealing with other people, right? So there's a lot of personalities out there uh, and just different people who have different perspectives and it's based on who they are and where they come from. And I think having that experience from a leadership standpoint at a young age as a student helped me understand how to deal with different, different people, challenging circumstances, different perspectives, and uh, take that into the, into the workforce. Well, you've been working at, let's, we're going to jump into Olympic Steel. You've been working there for 10 years. So first and foremost, thank you for bucking the trend. Uh, millennials, we've somehow ruined uh, everything, depending on the article <laughs> of the day. <laughs> but one of the things that millennials get is that we job hop. You've now been at Olympic Steel for 10 going on 11 years. Uh, if I did my research correctly, tell us how you found out about the opportunity at Olympic Steel, and then also what has motivated you to stay there for you know a decade? Yeah, absolutely. Your research is, is spot on, Paul. The one thing that you couldn't have known is that I actually started my career with Olympic in uh, 2011 as an intern. It's actually going to be uh, 12 years with the company starting uh, later, later this July. So I got my start actually right out of Ohio University uh, as an intern. I actually interned for Olympic Steel the summer of my junior year uh, in Athens, had the opportunity to uh, come up for an internship. It was a paid internship. So as a, as a student, that was like, you know, gravy. That was very exciting. I grew up in New Philadelphia, Ohio, which is about an hour and a half south of Cleveland. So getting to come to Cleveland for a summer and kind of live in the big city, if you will, was very exciting uh, for me as a student. Paid internship was very exciting. And, you know, I wanted to kind of have that business uh, experience and just kind of uh, see what that was like. At the time, I was considering considering law school. I was kind of preparing for the LSATs. But I wanted to kind of have a different experience and kind of see what the business setting was like. And I spent a summer with Olympic Steel. And it was a nice internship in the sense that uh, I got to spend about a week or so in all of our Cleveland Division's uh, departments. So our quality department, our logistics department, sales, you know, you name it, I got to spend about a week in each of those departments. And that was nice as a student to kind of help me discern what I was interested in and what I wasn't interested in. Uh, what did I like and what didn't I like? And I, I enjoyed the sales aspect of it uh, initially. I enjoyed the purchasing aspect of things as well, uh, procurement. And when I finished up the internship going into my senior year, 
uh, at OU, I got an offer from Olympic to come back and work for them uh, full time after a successful completion of uh, my degree at Ohio University. And, you know, I was excited to take that opportunity and, and, and jump on that after I graduated. So after I graduated, I moved up to Cleveland and uh, started my professional career and really haven't looked back. It's been a great 12 years with Olympic Steel. Uh, I've had a lot of opportunities with the company to train and to cross train and to see a lot of different disciplines. It's, it's really been great. So give us the rundown on, for people that don't know, on Olympic Steel, you know, the products that you produce, the partners you work with, and then, of course, your role today and what you're responsible for. Olympic Steel was founded in 1954 here in Cleveland by the Siegel family. Uh, two brothers started the company. We're located on the east side of Cleveland in, in Bedford Heights. Uh, so that's where we got our start. And it was kind of a single location steel distributor and basically just doing distribution of hot roll steel. So if you're if you're driving down the freeway and you see a big coil on the back of a truck or a, a bunch of plates on the back of a truck that are hot roll steel. That's what we were distributing at the time. So started as a one one site location, uh, family run. And over the years, we grew. We started to install our own uh, processing equipment here in Cleveland, started to open up different locations across the country. Fast forward several years, we actually became a public company. So we're uh, publicly traded under NASDAQ to, you know, going from that single site location in Cleveland, I believe Olympic Steel is up to upwards of 14 uh, locations across the country that say Olympic Steel on the door, so to speak. Uh, we also have a sister company, a couple sister companies, one of which is Chicago Tube and Iron. Uh, we bought them in uh, 2011, uh, headquartered out of Chicago, obviously. That was a 100-year-old company when we purchased them. So it was a, a major acquisition for Olympic Steel and Chicago Tube and Iron. They get into our long product segment. So they do pipe and tube uh, and things of that nature, whereas Olympic Steel is a lot more of your sheet and plate products. We also have a specialty metals segment of the company. So one of our other acquisitions prior to Chicago Tube and Iron was a company called Integrity Stainless, and they're located in Streetsboro, Ohio. That acquisition kind of got us into what we call specialty metals. So specialty metals is stainless and aluminum for Olympic steel. And that's that's really our three primary operating segments is the, the carbon flat rolled segment, which is kind of how we got our start as Olympic Steel, as well as uh, our Chicago Tube and Iron Division, which is our structural products, and then our specialty products, which is stainless and aluminum. I spent most of my uh, career so far on our carbon flat roll uh, side of the equation in Cleveland. I was our regional sales manager for a number of years, uh, five years, and prior to that, I was our purchasing manager buying from the steel mills uh, for, our, for our company. Most recently, I've taken on a new role within the past year into our specialty metals segment, uh, where I'm currently uh, our director of, of aluminum. And um, in that role, I am responsible for basically growing our aluminum footprint as a company and working with each of our locations across the country in uh, marketing the aluminum products. Nice. So... As a junior, before you started your internship, I mean, was that, did you ever imagine this is what you'd be doing, where you'd be 10 years later? Honestly, Paul, I wasn't even on the radar. It, it, it really, <laughs> it, it really wasn't. 
like like you mentioned, I, I majored in political science and economics, and I really had the mindset of wanting to run for office one day. I wanted to I wanted to get into government. Like I said, I thought about doing law school, kind of as a complement to that. And going back to OU, I was on campus during the 2008 uh, election, and that was uh, at the time that would have been uh, President Obama, and uh, his competition at the time was was John McCain. And you know, it was as I as I kind of went through that on a college campus, and it's it's only proven to be more so true since time has progressed. Politics is really ugly. I mean, it just it just really is. I mean, it was then in 08, and it's only gotten worse since then. And I kind of said to myself, and I talked to my parents at the time, and they're like, you know, do you really want to do that for a career and put yourself in those types of situations? And I still have a interest in doing that later in life, giving back uh, in a capacity of, as a public servant. But I really don't believe that, you know, politics is supposed to be a, a lifetime career, it's supposed to be kind of my perspective. I think we sorely miss uh, term limits and, and things of that nature. So I, I didn't want it to be a career thing. I don't think it's I don't think it's meant to be a career thing. If I'm fortunate enough to do it later in life, I want to do it for the sake of, you know, giving back to my community and, and where I live. So anyway, as the ugliness of politics kind of reared its head and became more apparent to me, I was thinking about law school still. Uh, and then the opportunity for the internship came. And that's really where I was kind of introduced to the business world, so to speak, and um, really didn't have any grand aspects aspirations for getting in the metals industry or wanting to, wanting to be in steel. Um, frankly, I think that's something for us as an industry, we need to do a little bit of a better job in the in the metals industry of talking about that to prospective students uh, and, and prospective future employees, uh, just because I, I don't know that it's you kind of think it's an old antiquated thing and it doesn't really exist anymore. And it very much so does. And it's a very important part of our, our, our country and our economy. And we certainly have some work to do as an industry in, in working to recruit for a young town in the future. Thank you for listening to the Rust Belt Rundown. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Rust Belt Rundown. Let's stick on that. What would you say to a, you know Ohio University junior or senior that hadn't really no knowledge of the industry and they were asking you, okay, how, how do I get involved? Or like, what opportunities are there? Like, where could I go? Is it sales? Is it pro like, wh what would you, what's the, what's the pitch? Well, I mean, I think the pitch is, um, frankly, job security in the sense that you're always going to need to have steel or aluminum or whatever metal it is to make whatever is being made. Right. So, yep. Bridges, cars, uh, a can of soda, silverware that you eat with during dinner. I mean, it's it, it's, yeah. it's everywhere, right? And yep. and that's that's not going to go away. We're we're in the midst of a major pivot from you know the combustion engine and cars into more EVs, and even even with that change, um, you're still going to need metals to make mm -hmm. those cars, for example, right? So from a, a materials standpoint you're always going to need uh, these types of products, steel, aluminum, tube, pipe, whatever it may be. As long as we're building things in this country, we're going to need those types of things. And, and that's that's the pitch, right? And I will also say that it's a rewarding industry to be in, in the sense that it's it's challenging. It's not a easy discipline to be in, in the sense that it's it's a commodity. It, it's competitive. There's a lot of competitors out there, not only on the producing steel mill side, but also on the distribution side. 
So there's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of hard work behind the scenes and and winning business and maintaining business and being strategic with how you market yourself. So it's it's fun. It's fast paced. You're always going to need it. You're always going to you're always going to need this industry. And um, as far as what disciplines we're recruiting, it's it's a very it's, it's a wide array, right? So our divisions across the company are involved in many different disciplines, from logistics to to quality assurance to sales uh, to procurement, human resources. You name it, we we have a discipline within Olympic Steel that's that's kind of servicing those different areas, and uh, there's definitely a home for um, a lot of different expertise within within the metals industry. Yeah, man, I think number one, the selling point you started with job security. I mean, growing up, you know, I think you and I are a year apart, but big tech was was sexy. Big tech was the way to go, and trying to work at a Google, an Amazon, a Twitter, a Facebook, you know. I'm not saying that was everyone's goals, but it was what was being portrayed as success was if you could get to one of those type of technology companies. And to your point, I mean, look at what we've seen with Twitter over the past year or so and just how, I don't want to say unstable that industry is, but they go through massive hiring swings and then massive layoff swings. And it's I think I think people are reevaluating it. You know, I, I think people are looking at and again, we talk about this on every podcast, like the branding around manufacturing or metals or aluminum or steel like that branding has not been what it probably needs to be. And to your point, it starts with education. It starts with, you know, maybe going back to OU and and informing students of the opportunities. And it's interesting, man. I I think we're going to see, if we haven't already, you know, a swing from the quote unquote traditional white collar jobs and and careers and people turning those down for blue collar careers. And good. I think that's great. And we need it. We 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 really yeah. do. And you know, I don't I don't know that the manufacturing segment of, of our of our country and our economy, they really haven't had to kind of market those jobs because they've always, you know, years back, those that they've always been in high demand. You've always known the value of those. And, you know, over the years as we've become more of a more of a tech heavy economy and you know, things have perhaps gone overseas, you know, I think that that knowledge or that allure of the good manufacturing job is has kind of gone away. But I think the things that we've gone through in this past decade, certainly, certainly during COVID, has really, you know, shown a light back on the manufacturing segment of, of the economy. And I think there's a lot of really exciting stuff uh, going on in that front. So let's stay on that. You mentioned EVs, you mentioned cars. Are there any, like, what does the next 12 to 24 months look like in the steel industry? And are there any, you know, changes that you guys are bracing for? Yeah, I think, you know, for us coming out of COVID, a lot of our customers had very, very solid backlogs, very solid forecasts, and, and they've been they've been performing to those. You know, we've seen uh, a lot of good participation from truck and trailer participation from appliances, for example. Like you know, again during COVID, everybody was doing the home improvements, so there's a lot of demand for for appliances. Going back to truck trailer, everybody has read about uh, the issues that we've had on computer chips, uh, the microprocessors, 
And that has had a big effect on anybody that needs a chassis to put, you know, something on, right? Whether it's a a truck body or a garbage truck or or whatever. There's a lot of demand that's just pent up from some of those supply chain COVID issues. So, you know, we've seen, um, you know, solid performance from our from our customers relative to their forecasts. Um, You know, certainly in the near term, you're talking about the macroeconomics of where we're where we are. There's some uncertainty, certainly in the near term, kind of seems like, you know, almost feels like the election cycle is already in full swing, even though it's even though it's not. Um, So there's, you know, there's some uncertainty out there. But what we're seeing today is really solid demand from our customers, uh, from our OEMs uh, performing to their forecast. And, um, you know, we're we're hoping that that continues in the uh, in the months ahead. I love it. All right, man. We got two fun questions to get you out of here. We appreciate you taking the time. The first one, we're going to stick with Cleveland sports. I've made this statement before. I think Cleveland sports fans are the greatest sports fans. I'm not going to say in the world because that'll probably upset some Chelsea or Man U or, you know, uh, (laughs) English Premier League fans. But I will say they're the greatest sports fans in the United States of America because they're still fans. Now, forget the Cavs. The Cavs got their, they got it. But the Browns specifically, I mean, you guys have had, I'll put it nicely, a tough go at it. And you guys still show up and you still buy tickets and you still buy gear. And to me, they left Cleveland. They came back. I mean, this, we, you know what I mean? Like it's the Cleveland sport fan is not the average fan. You know what I mean? It, it runs like in their blood. So with all that being said, what team, two-part question, do you think wins a title next? And what team do you want to win a title next? Great questions, and they're exciting questions for us to answer. Just because I mean, we don't we don't get to deal on this too often. The the ideas of uh, titles, but um, <laughs> the highlight of my of my sporting career was obviously watching the Cavs get their it's championship. Amazing. That was amazing. But that same year in 2016, the Indians had their their heartbreaker in in 2016, losing to the Cubs. And as as sweet as the Cavs' uh, victory was, the Indians' loss in the World Series was brutal. That one hurt. So as far as who I want to win uh, next, I would certainly love to see you know the Tribe win a title next. They've not gotten a great start to the year. Uh, we're, we're, we're about sub 500 right now. But I always say, as long as we have uh, Tito Francona in the dugout, uh, anything's possible. I think he's one of the best, if not the best manager in, in the league. So we'll see. It's a very young team. We got some things that work out this year, but that, that's that's who I would like to see win uh, the most. I think as far as who's on the trajectory to win perhaps in the in the nearest term is probably the Cavs again, honestly. Really, really good core, young core. Donovan Mitchell is an elite basketball player. You got to get a few pieces around him. Um, I think we got to bring in some bigger guys, maybe some guys with a little bit of attitude just to kind of, you know, toughen up the squad a little bit when we're, you know, dealing with those uh, tough New York teams or whatever it may be. But I think that they're they're on a really good path. I also think that those two uh, teams in particular have really good front offices. Actually, I think they've done some yes. really amazing things. Absolutely, um, the trades and you know the tribes farm team has always been sneaky good. And you know we get these guys coming up that we never heard of that are just gems. So I, I think the future's bright there. I want to say the future is bright for the Browns. Um, you know our motto is there's always next year. You know, I've been I've been saying that for 33 years now for my entire life. But, you know, we'll see. Right. There's there's just a lot of open questions. And 
I'm at the point now where my motto is, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, right? That's 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 where that's where I'm at with the Browns. I yeah. love them. Don't get me wrong, but I, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Probably Cavs, Tribe, Browns in that order. Although part of me thinks Cleveland wants the opposite. Like I, I no think doubt. if the Browns won a Super Bowl, I think the country may shut down. I agree. <laughs> I agree. All right, last question. We'll get you out of here. Tell us where your go-to food spots were in Athens and then some free publicity for, uh, you know, your favorite spots in Cleveland. I am a major foodie. I love I love to eat. It's one of my favorite pastimes. So in Athens, it, it's funny, you know, as you get as you get older, you know, your palate changes, right? So some of the things that I thought were amazing when I was a student, you know, don't get me wrong, they're still very good today, but they, they wouldn't be my first choice as a, as a working professional. So I, I still to this day think that Brennan's in Athens is probably one of the yeah. best delis slash coffee shops around. I mean, it's really good, really nice menu. It's always a solid option for lunch. It's a great location on Court Street towards the front of the street, obviously. And uh, I really have always enjoyed Brennan's. You know, kind of for more bar food, uh, I always really enjoyed Bronies on the far end of the street. Always really enjoyed Bronies. They got, you know, probably the best patio uh, on the street as well. So always really enjoyed that. And then I guess the place that has grown the most in my affinity over the years post-graduation has, has been Jackio's. I, I love Jackio's. Not only is their beer phenomenal, but their food's actually really good too. They partner with a lot of the local companies, uh, local farmers. A lot of it's local. It's fresh. Uh, the food all tastes really good there. So uh, that's a that's kind of a double threat there with great beer and great food. I uh, really, really enjoy Jack Yo's, and that's kind of my go-to when I go back to campus. Uh, but there's a lot of great eats in Athens and plenty to choose from. And as far as Cleveland goes, one of my favorite spots is uh, Prosperity Social Club. It's here in my neighborhood of Tremont. I really like it. It's it's an old school bar. Been there forever. And it, it, it you can tell it used to be a steel mill workers bar. That's uh, that's where all the steel mill, steel mill workers went after work. It's just an old school bar that's been there forever. The, the staff there is great. Uh, everybody that works there is amazing. Just, just very friendly. You get, you get to know them well. And, and they call it a social club because when you walk in, there, there's two TVs like the size of a microwave. And they don't even <laughs> have the, the sound of the TV on. They'll just have some random movie playing basically on mute and you're sitting there and you have to talk to the people around you, right? So that's kind of why they call it a social club. I, I enjoy it. The food's great. It's a good mix of burgers, salads, and then they have a lot of like old school uh, ethnic food, like, you know, stuffed cabbage and, and things of that nature. That's 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 really solid. Always a sucker for Barrio also in Tremont as a kind of a quick, yep. quick taco spot. Uh, really good. Uh, Ohio City has a great Mexican place called Avo. And and um, the downtown food scene is also fantastic. A lot of good options downtown to eat at before or after a game. A lot of great steakhouses uh, downtown. Cleveland is actually a, it's an amazing food town. It's, it's I, uh, I tell you what, I get in trouble with this, but I, I think it dwarfs Columbus. Like, yeah. I don't think it's close. Yeah. There's a lot of hidden gems up here in Cleveland. There's a lot of big name chefs that are up this way. Uh, one of which Zach Brule, he owns a number of uh, restaurants here in the greater Cleveland, Northeast Ohio area. His restaurant in Tremont is a uh, parallax. Um, it's actually currently kind of being reimagined right now. So it's currently shut down as they're, as they're kind of reimagining it into a different concept, but 
uh, that's seafood and it's, it's some of the best, uh, seafood around. I love it. Awesome. Well, Kyle, we appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much. And obviously good luck with everything the rest of the year. And we'll talk with you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.